Today you're going to hear me say a few things probably that are going to um, fly in the face of the world's conventional wisdom, which is um, what happens when you preach from the Bible sometimes, right? But I'm, I'd probably get in trouble today with Oprah and maybe Dr. Phil. Uh, they don't listen to the podcast a whole lot probably, so we're probably safe there. But I, I think I would probably run afoul of a few TV preachers today as well. And I found out this week um, that I did, a, I did some internet searches that, that, I would, that I would also be running up against a lot of t-shirt and poster makers who make a lot of money creating products that communicate a particular theme. And that theme is this, that if you want to be healthy in your life, if you want to be healthy emotionally, if you want to be healthy psychologically, even healthy spiritually, what you need to do is that there are certain people that you need to just stay away from. And if you are in a relationship with any of these people, you need to get out of it as soon as possible because it's horrible for you. Right? That, is, that is the theme that you hear expressed a lot today. And Tim, go ahead and just start the, the, the uh, I'll go ahead and run the next few from here. I think it might work, and then we'll get to the title. But here is one of the examples. People will either inspire you or drain you. Pick them wisely. You can get a poster or a t-shirt with that on it. Um, the best way to move forward is to let go of the people holding you back. Does that sound good? Very inspiring. Don't ever let negative and toxic people rent space in your head. Raise the rent and kick them out. Sounds good, right? Let go of people who bring you down and surround yourself with those who bring out the best in you. You notice that's from Taylor Swift. And uh, if you know any of her music, you know that she specializes in, in getting involved with toxic people for some reason, but she's able to usually extricate herself from those relationships. Um, this one I just put in for fun. 2019, stay away from negative people. 2020, stay away from positive people. And then the last one, keep calm and carry on. Don't let people bring you down. Focus on those who love you. Forget the ones who don't. Now, I know I need to tread kind of carefully this morning, and I promise that we will. I have talked and I have prayed and counseled with enough of you to know that this is a serious thing. And there are probably some people out there that might have their guard up a little bit already. The idea of certain people being unhealthy for you, the, the idea of certain people being toxic has at least a little bit of truth behind it, I think, even though I think we use the word toxic maybe a little bit too much. But, but I do want to ask you this question before we read our scripture passage. And the question is this, from what you know of Jesus, from what you know of Jesus, can you imagine him talking like this? From what you know of Jesus, can you picture him wearing one of these slogans on his t-shirt? Can you picture Jesus sitting across from Dr. Phil or Oprah and saying, you know, you're right, we just need to put some distance between ourselves and these people that are always bringing us down. Can you see that? Because I, I know that I can't picture that myself, but I want to just read a few verses, um, quite a few verses here from Matthew, and then I want to try to figure out how we as God's kingdom people are supposed to deal with the people that cause us pain. How are we supposed to deal with the people that cause us pain? Um, I'm going to hit the next one, Tim, and you can take it from there, okay? Oops, hold on, that's the wrong direction. There we go. So Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse um, 38. 38. 
This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Skip over to chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample upon them underfoot and then turn to attack you. Now skip over just to one more verse, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, most of you are not directly familiar with a lot of the, the situations that, that Jesus describes here in these verses. You may not have been literally slapped in the face recently. Um, you have probably not been sued in a court of law recently, and although some of you are not too thrilled about some of the mandates that are coming down from the government, my guess is that no occupying soldiers have conscripted you to carry their luggage for them in the last few weeks, which is what could happen in Imperial Rome. Any guard, any soldier could come to any person and just say, hey, you carry my stuff for the next mile, and they'd have to do it. And yet you can probably, without a whole lot of imagination, see pretty easily how these principles and these verses apply to our lives and to our relationships today, because you probably know, in fact, I know that you know what it's like to be insulted and to be disrespected. You know what it's like to be inconvenienced or even ordered around by somebody. You know what it's like to be taken advantage of. Um, you, there are people in your life whom, while you might not refer to them as your enemies, per se, you would probably not complain if you never had to see them again, right? And there are other people that you know who have issues, and you really wish you could help them or maybe give them some crucial advice, but it, if you do, it would probably get messy. And all of these situations represent discomfort for you. You don't like thinking about them. You don't like even walking into these situations. So let me just, let me take a few minutes and let me break them down a little bit farther for you so that you can see where we're at and, and, and maybe be able to connect these more closely to some, some experiences you, you may have gone through or maybe be going through now. To be slapped on the right cheek probably implies to be backhanded by somebody because most people are right-handed, so to hit you on the back of, the, on the right cheek, they'd have to hit you with the back of their hand. And to be struck with the back of someone's hand emphasizes just wholesale disrespect and dismissal of another human being. This is someone who has embarrassed you, 
uh, in the most demeaning and dehumanizing and maybe even public way. And if they realize how much they have hurt you, it doesn't seem to matter to them because they will just step right over you or step around you without a second thought. And so when you are around a person who has done this to you, and when you think about them, you are made to feel small, you are made to feel worthless and powerless. Verse 40, when it comes to being sued for your tunic, this this is someone who is coming after you to take advantage of you in one way or another. This is someone who wants something from you and probably feels like you owe it to them, even though in reality you don't owe them a thing. And so you feel somewhat violated by this person. You may even feel, they may make you feel guilty whenever you're around them. When you think of being forced to walk a mile, verse 41, you might think of a supervisor at work who was always on your case and, you know, driving you like a pack mule. Someone maybe who attempts to manipulate you into doing them favors. Or you might think of a person for whom you have extended yourself time and time again, and yet you have never once received a genuine thank you or any acknowledgement for your efforts. You may not have been conscripted or forced into doing something, but you you sure feel like that's what's happening. The person who asks or begs from you, verse 42, is possibly somebody on the street, but probably not. Jesus talks about that kind of thing more in chapter 6, so this could be someone who was always in need, someone who's always, you know, taking advantage of your good graces. And then there are the enemies. Again, we don't use that word a whole lot. But in this case, something has happened in your relationship with another person, and now there is some real malice. So it's no longer about whatever the issue was that started the problem, but now it's become personal. Most of us have at least a few people in our lives that we would describe like that. And you probably saw that I snuck in the first few verses of chapter 7 too, where you've got a person that maybe you have kind of a decent relationship with, but this person really needs to be confronted about something. Now, the more I talk about these relationships, the more your blood pressure creeps up, right? I mean, we don't like dealing with these people and these these issues. It's costly even to spend time thinking about them. So no wonder the t-shirts and the posters sell so well that tell us just to get away from these problem people, right? And if you think about it, Without too much effort, there are ways to subtly rewrite these instructions from Jesus ever so slightly that that allow us to do just that, to effectively run away. Think about it like this. Jesus could have said this. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, just don't hit them back. Just walk away. When someone forces you to walk a mile, just do it. When someone tries to take your tunic, just let it go. Don't don't try to get back at your enemies. Just pretend they don't exist. If someone's got a problem, it's not your problem. Just stay out of their business. It's safer for everybody. Even the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, that famous verse, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that was around before Jesus came on the scene. But until Jesus arrived, it had typically been phrased negatively. Don't do things to other people that you don't want them doing to you. But this is really just more of the gospel according to Taylor Swift, right? Hater's going to hate, cheater's going to cheat, liar's going to lie, player's going to play. What do you do? Shake it off, right? Shake it off. That's what she says to do. Just get away. Block the call. Don't pick up the phone. Hit the unfriend button. 
Don't let these people camp out in your head. Just, just, just cleanse your life of them. But when Jesus then turns the golden rule around and he phrases it positively, imagine what you want others to do to you and then do it to them. That changes the whole ballgame, doesn't it? Because it calls us to active obedience, not just passive live and let live. What Jesus is saying here is that if you're a Christian, if you're one of God's kingdom people, then when it comes to relationships, in one way or another, like it or not, the ball is always in our court. Kingdom people don't just walk away from difficult situations, challenging relationships, or even painful confrontations, even when others normally would. Turn the other cheek indicates that you're... You're willing to absorb even more disrespect. Go the extra mile, it means voluntarily doing even more than this overbearing or ungrateful person expects you to do. Taking the beam out of your own eye means loving the other person enough to help them, but first you go through the agonizing process of examining your own life to see if you do the same thing so that when you help, you can do it with honesty and integrity and really make a difference. God's kingdom people are always looking for a way to show love to the other person, even if it's not returned, even if it's thrown back in our faces, even, if, even with our enemies. And Jesus is telling us here that even when all you can really do is pray for the person. <clears throat> that doesn't mean just praying for them to get what's coming to them, by the way. Jesus is calling us at the very least never to finally and completely close the door on another person no matter what kind of pain they may have caused us or may be causing us right now. And that's hard. Because it may also mean giving up your rights on occasion. In the Old Testament law, if you owe someone a debt that you couldn't pay, they could come after you and they could sue you and they could take your tunic and you had to give it to them. But you know what? Your cloak, your warm overcoat, that was off limits. There was a special... Um, verse in the law that said you were allowed to keep that cloak no matter how much you owe they couldn't take it from you your cloak is an inalienable right so what jesus is saying here is incredibly radical isn't it just give him your cloak and it's difficult can people really live like that is it reasonable is it healthy i mean are there exceptions you know you might ask didn't jesus walk away from people sometimes As a matter of fact, he did. He walked away from a group of Pharisees and Sadducees one time <clears throat> after they dismissed his words and, and his miracles and they demanded that he show them a sign from heaven. <clears throat> he walked away. He walked away one time from a crowd that was trying to make him king by force. He, he allowed some of those same people who, to walk away from him later on when they could no longer accept his, his teaching. And it's true that Jesus, he, he refused to be led into a trap and he had a principle that he used that when, when, when people had shown him that they were not willing to listen to his truth over and over again, he would not keep trying to pound it down their throats. That's why I read the part in chapter 7 about casting pearls before swine and giving holy things to dogs. There are times when we have to use judgment about what to say and what not to say to someone because it does them a disservice to give them more truth than they're actually ready for because they will be held responsible when they reject that truth. It's the same reason Jesus used parables so much when he taught. It allowed him to, to, to teach those who were open to hearing him without burdening those who were not open to him. But the bottom line is this, that when Jesus walked away from people or allowed other people to walk away from him, he didn't just do it 
to preserve his psychological and emotional health. Because these things were not dependent on what people thought of him or how they treated him. Jesus was actually the most secure person who ever lived. John chapter 13 says this about Jesus. It says he knew who his father was, he knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. And and that allowed him to take off his outer garment, grab a towel and basin, kneel down, and wash the feet of the man who was betraying him to death at that very moment. Jesus calls us to treat all people with love, even difficult, high-maintenance, obnoxious, or toxic people. And if we decide to separate ourselves from them or to let them walk away, ideally we need to do it not just to save our own emotional or mental health, but because it's in their best interests. And there's just no way for us to help them right now except to leave them alone and pray for them. And yes, that does happen sometimes. Now the question may occur to you, does this mean that Christians are just supposed to be stepped on? Are we supposed to just be walked on like a rug? I mean, is that the spiritual thing to do? Is that what Jesus is saying? You know, Is that what a kingdom person looks like, just a carpet to be walked on? The answer is no. It, it may seem like that at first, but ultimately you need to know it is not loving. It is not loving to enable a vicious or toxic person to hurt you over and over again without speaking up and letting them know what is going on. Jesus never says to withhold the truth from people, even the hard truth. In fact, speaking up, and possibly when you speak up, inviting more verbal abuse in the process, that may be part of what it means to turn the other cheek. You're not willing to abandon this person, so you hang in there, and you speak the truth in love, even as you prepare for what is likely to be a negative response. And I have to say this because some of you read these verses, and you're like, this is easy for me, this is my life. Because this is what people do to me. This is how they treat me. I'm a rug. That's me. But if that's you, listen, Jesus is not calling you to act like a martyr. Yes, he is saying not to retaliate against evil, but if you just let people trample all over you and you never speak up, not only are you not being loving to that other person, but you are also building up all kinds of unhealthy resentment and bitterness inside of yourself. Grudging silence is not the way of love. And it's not what Jesus is calling us to here. But the fact remains that he is calling us to some pretty radical and pretty demanding stuff, isn't he? So where do we get the resources to live like this? Where do we get the resources to be hurt like this? I read an article recently which contained a number of quotes from a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux. Anyone ever heard of him? I know John has. There he is. Bernard was a French monk who lived back in the 12th century, and you probably have not read any of his books, but you may have sung one of his songs because he actually wrote the words to the hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, which is still pretty famous today. And he became famous, Bernard did, for his pursuit, his very intense pursuit of an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus. He was very into contemplation and meditation, uh, getting away with God, going on retreats with God, getting into God's presence, to the point that some would even criticize him for being selfish or being indulgent or being overly emotional in his relationship with the Lord. But at the same time, Bernard was also a very busy, productive person. He started his own monastery. He was an advisor to popes. Uh, He was repeatedly called on to help deal with divisions in the church. Um, You can imagine how emotionally rewarding a job that turned out to be, probably involving a lot of, you know, turning the other cheek. And Bernard agreed 
that, that Jesus called us to pour ourselves into the lives of other people, even at great cost, as we've been talking about. But in discussing how we might do this, Bernard employed a very simple metaphor, which I think you'll probably find pretty helpful. Bernard said this. He said, the man who is wise will see his life as more like a reservoir than a canal. The canal simultaneously pours out what it receives. The reservoir retains the water till it is filled, then discharges the overflow without loss to itself. He also said this, you squander and lose what is meant to be your own. If before you are totally permeated by the infusion of the Holy Spirit, you rashly proceed to pour out your unfulfilled self upon others. In other words, Jesus does call us, yes, to be willing to be insulted, to be inconvenienced, to be wounded in some ways as we represent him before others, but we cannot do that from a position of spiritual emptiness. It must come out of the overflow of a life that is filled to the brim with the love and the peace and the power of God's Spirit. And this is borne out in the New Testament. In John chapter 7, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to rivers of living water flowing out of us, but only as we first bring our empty cup to Jesus to receive a drink from Him. In Colossians, Paul says that in the church we are to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. The word speaks of abundance. It speaks of overflowing. We're to overflow love and truth and encouragement onto each other as we build each other up in the Lord. By the way, this is why we can't be tearing each other up in the local church and why we can't afford to neglect getting together with one another because this is one of the main ways that Jesus pours out his word and his power into us. This is where the the reservoir often gets filled up, right here in the local church. We overflow into each other. So let me ask you, are you a canal this morning? What I mean by that is, is life being sucked out of you even faster than God is pouring it in? Or are you a reservoir? Overflowing with love and generosity and patience for others because God has already filled you up. Now listen, to the extent that you are a reservoir, filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and filled especially with the assurance of God's love for you, you will be able to obey these commands, these difficult commands that Jesus showed us today. On the other hand, to the extent that you are running on empty, insecure in his love for you, unaware of the blessings that are yours in Christ, not walking in the Spirit, you will find that you can't do these things. So when you're faced with these relationship crises, in that case, what you'll do is you'll either fight back and defend your own rights, or you'll roll over and play the martyr, or you'll just walk away to maintain your own emotional health and sanity. And you'll have to do that. You'll have to do that. And when it comes to walking in the Spirit, yeah, what I'm talking about is doing what Bernard did and getting away to spend some time with your Heavenly Father. Meditate on His Word. Pour out your heart to Him in prayer. Empty out all the bitterness that you may have absorbed from other people and then be filled up with His truth and the assurance of His love for you. I can speak from experience to that because that's what happened to me about a year and a half ago when I went on sabbatical. I had become a canal. And those three months that you graciously gave me allowed me to become a reservoir again. I hope you'll you'll understand this and really take it into consideration. But taking a step back, taking a step back, don't forget 
that Jesus has already filled you up with what he has done for you on the cross. Don't forget what we said about the Beatitudes. We've mentioned this several times now, those short phrases at the beginning of this sermon when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are you when people persecute you. And how these verses come with promises, and they're more than just statements about us. They are a portrait of the death of Jesus Christ because they embody the great trade that was made when he died for us. If you think about it, I'm going to close with this. Jesus stepped into a world full of toxic people like you and me, and he allowed us to suck the life right out of him. He was rejected so we could be eternally accepted. He took our sins so that we could have his righteousness. He took our shame so that we could receive the honor that was due to him. The Bible says that the one who honors God will himself be honored by God. And because Jesus honored his Father, those of us who are now in Christ will receive the honor that goes to Jesus. Even the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. If you had any idea of how much God has honored you and how much God will honor you in the future, do you think maybe that would, it would help you absorb the insults and the disrespect that come your way today? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you, because of Jesus' meekness, will inherit the earth, do you think it might free you to let go of a few of your temporary possessions for the time being, even if it seems unfair? For those of us who have been set free by the blood of Christ and who will one day reign with him for eternity, do you think that might make it a little bit easier to forego some of our rights just for a short time in the here and now. And if it's true that God loved us, as it says in Romans 5.8, when we were his enemies, even when we were rebellious sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Not to mention what he still puts up with even after we've come to know him, right? Might that at least give us a slightly better chance of at least praying for our so-called enemies, those with whom we have personal issues? rather than looking for ways to either retaliate against them or erase them from our lives. After all, we have guaranteed blessings in Christ that no one can ever take away, no matter what they say about us and no matter what they do to us. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a real world full of messy relationships and, and uh, dysfunctional people, and we know, Lord, that we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We're a work in progress. And yet, at the same time, you call us to do supernatural things when we deal with people that are not treating us the way that we maybe think we deserve to be treated and, and, and even hurting us. And Lord, I know that I'm speaking into sensitive areas right now if we really take this seriously. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that before anything else happens, that you would just give us all the, a deep assurance of your love for us, a deep assurance of the fact that, that you really are for us because of Jesus Christ who died for us, that you really do look at us with, with, a, with a face of grace, 
that you really will fill us up with the Holy Spirit and, and give us what we need to be able to, to do these things and to be overflowing as a reservoir and not just being burnt out and spilled out and hurt without being helped by you. So Lord, fill us up with your Holy Spirit as we empty ourselves of all the bitterness that we pick up over the course of our lives and over the course of our week. And then Lord, lead us to people who need to see Jesus, not just in the happy ways, but in the painful ways and in the difficult ways and in the messy ways and in the awkward ways and help us to be obedient to you when you lead us into these situations. And, and Lord, we know that as we, as Matt told us a couple weeks ago, as we, as we die these little deaths, as we make these costly decisions, that Lord, we are actually communicating the love and the gospel of Jesus. And then Lord, help us to also follow that up with our words. We love you and thank you that you make this possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And I'm going to give you some verses from Ephesians to let you go with. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God.